I'm curious how many rule followers we have with us this morning. And uh, we are, yeah, yeah. So, see, some of you are raising your hand already. I love it. We've got pointing. Well, I'm going to give you a chance to let me know. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a little, little poll. If you are by nature a rule follower, raise your hand. If you are by nature not really a rule follower, raise your hand. You just followed my rule. I got y'all. I got you. Y'all actually raise your hand on that one. Now, I, it, it is interesting, isn't it, how some of us more by nature are rule followers and some of us aren't. I'll just tell you that by nature I am more of a rule follower. My wife is. Both of our girls are. That's just kind of how we are. And so it probably won't surprise you to hear that I think people should follow the rules. <laughs> Except when it comes to speeding. Maybe... You know, maybe we can fudge just a little bit on that one. Uh, you know, I, I joke about that, but that's kind of how it is, right? It's like, you should follow the rules unless I think I know better. Then it's okay. You know, I get to decide where I don't really want to follow the rules. But no, seriously, for the most part, outside of the little speeding thing, for the most part, I would say that rules are there for a reason. People ought to follow them. Right? <laughs> some, of you, some of you are with me. Some of you are like, no, that's not true. However, and, and I think in general, it can be a good thing. But let me tell you about one area where it can actually potentially be dangerous to be a rule follower. And this might surprise you. That's when it comes to our spiritual lives. In some ways, it can actually be dangerous to be a rule follower spiritually. Now, you may say, wait a minute, Pastor. I, I, you know, doesn't the Bible give us rules? Doesn't God give us guidelines to live by? Yes, he does. No doubt. But the motivation behind that is really key. And in today's passage in Colossians, we're going to uh, see Paul basically telling the church in Colossae, don't follow the rules that other people are trying to impose on you that don't come from God. Um, because that, that can happen so very easily. Uh, and, and it's a great reminder that following Jesus isn't just about following the rules. Following Jesus is about knowing and loving a person. It's about having a relationship with him. And that, and out of that flows, yes, there are rules that we live by and things that God designs for us and we, we do that, but it flows out of a relationship more than it does just out of following rules. And, and, and motivation matters when it comes to our spiritual growth, which is different from, for example, I talked about the rule of following the speed limit it doesn't matter what your motivation is. If you don't speed, you won't get in trouble for it, right? Period. It doesn't matter why you don't speed. You could not speed because you think it's safer to drive slower. You could not speed because you think I'll get better gas mileage if I drive slower. Uh, you could choose not to just because you want to annoy all the other drivers on the road that are going too fast. I mean, there are all kinds of different motivations, right? It doesn't matter. Motivation doesn't matter. What matters in this case is that you follow the rules. But that's not really the case when it comes to our relationship with God. So I, I want you to open your Bible with me to Colossians 2. And I want us to see Paul's response to uh, the church as, as others are coming in trying to place some rules on them. And this is how he says that they should respond starting in verse 16. Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. 
Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. This passage begins with the word, therefore, which is always connecting it back to something that was said right before it. And let me just remind you where we ended last week and, and being uh, reminded that we were dead in our sins. That Christ came when we were dead in our sins. And it says, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. And Christ took that payment for us. He died on the cross for us because we were guilty. But that section right before this one says that he took this uh, charge that was against us, our legal indebtedness, and that that was nailed to the cross when Jesus died for us. So Christ died for us, and as a result, we have forgiveness and new life in Christ. So since that is true, and since it is true that there's nothing we could do to bring ourselves out of spiritual death, because dead people can't bring themselves back to life, only God can do that. That is something that happens by faith, and we talked about just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, we walk by faith faith so because we don't save ourselves and because we are to continue to live by faith why in the world would we let somebody else come in with all of these external regulations and say no you need to live like this you need to follow all of these rules and he's saying that it really doesn't make sense so the first main idea today that I want us to, to, to hold on to is this that we have to refuse to let others impose their religious rules Refuse to let others impose their religious rules. That's what was going on here. Keep in mind that this book was written to combat different types of false teaching. And one of those was the Judaizers who taught that if you wanted to be right with God, you had to follow all the Jewish laws. You had to be circumcised. You had to follow the law. And if you did it well enough, then you would be pleasing in God's eyes. And, and the gospel message is, no, we will never be good enough for God. That's why Jesus died for us. That's why we have that section we just talked about right before this one. And so in light of that, he says, do not let anyone judge you with regard to all of these things. To me, that raises a question. Can we really keep someone else from judging us? And in some respect, the answer is no. Then why would he say, do not let anyone judge you with regard to these things? You know, there, there might be, we might have more control over it than we think. Now, it's true that we can't, really fully control whether another person judges us but have you ever noticed that the the kids that tend to get picked on the most are the ones that respond a certain way when they get picked on right that's who the bullies pick on because they know how they're going to respond and when they poke at them and they get that reaction that they're looking for then they continue to go back to those kids we have some friends that um have a, a child that they were worried that uh, when she got older she would be picked on more than other kids and as she's gotten into her teenage years that really hasn't been an issue and I'll tell you primarily why because if 
you know, somebody wants to say something about her, and she's just like, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to ignore you, and, you know, I'll pretend like you don't exist. And, and they just kind of leave her alone, right? That's just kind of how it works. And so there's something to be said for that, isn't there, when it comes to our do not let others judge us. We can't control what somebody else says or thinks about us and those kinds of things. But what we can control is our reaction to that. And if we go down that path and it's like, oh my goodness, somebody says something and we you know, react a certain way to that, then we're going to set ourselves up more for that. But if we react with a confidence of, no, you know, I know who I am in Christ. I know my desire to honor God and I'm not going to go down this path of things that you know, aren't in line with the gospel. Then I think what we'll find to a large degree is those people will respect that and maybe move on to somebody else. But can we also admit that's hard to do? Especially if someone comes in and, and, and it talks in this, in this passage, you catch the phrases like an appearance of wisdom. When somebody comes and says, you need to follow this rule, you need to do this and this and this, that sounds kind of godly, doesn't it? And, and so there's something in us when somebody comes in real hard with the rules and follow this and do this and do this, that it's like, oh my goodness, there, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should, especially if you're a rule follower by nature like I am, and I know many of you are. It's like, okay, maybe I should go along with that. But we need to be careful because, as verse 17 says, let's remember the purpose of these things. It's not that they have no purpose. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But it says that they are a shadow of the things that are to come. Now, what is a shadow? It's the things that he talks about here. Um, what you eat or drink, religious festivals, new moon celebrations, Sabbath days. See, what, what we need to remember is the intent behind all of these things. For example, regulations on what to eat or drink. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of regulations about what was clean and what was not clean, right? Avoid certain kinds of foods. What was the purpose of that? I think you could make an argument that there may have been health reasons behind it, but even more than that, the purpose behind that was to differentiate between what is holy and what is unholy. And so people began to understand that, that distinction. What about these different festivals that it talks about here? It talks about with regard to a religious festival. What, were the, what was the point of all the religious festivals that they celebrated? It was to remember God's faithfulness. It was to stir faith in the heart of those who were participating, right? It wasn't just to follow the rules. You know, on the festival day, we've got to do this and then this and then this. No, the point was the festival was all about remember what God did back here. Remember how faithful God was. Let's celebrate God's faithfulness as we have this festival. New moon celebrations, the new moon, they followed a lunar calendar. So the new moon was the beginning of each month. And, and the Bible talks about bringing sacrifices at the beginning of each month at the new moon. And that would be a time for them to just kind of remember, okay, we have a fresh start once again. And we're going to, to start that by, by honoring God and sacrificing. That was the point of all of those things. The Sabbath day, certainly Jesus talked about this, right? That Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath was to give a time of, of rest, a time to be able to reflect on who God is. It wasn't just about the rules. Those things, it says, are only a shadow of the things that are to come. But, it says, the reality is found in Christ. Maybe think about Matthew 5, 17, where Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. See, these, these things were a shadow. Jesus is the real deal. 
And if you have the choice to look at either a shadow or the real thing, probably going to look at the real thing. Our uh, AV team does a great job each Sunday when I stand up here to speak. I'm not standing in the dark because that would be a little weird, right? If I understand everything, but I have light and you can see me and, and, and I can see you and that's all good. But the other thing is, you notice, you look around, it's kind of hard to find my shadow. And I've actually tried to do this. They do a really good job the way things are set up. So here's my question. What if I'm standing here and there was just a big old shadow right beside me? How many of you would say, I'm going to, while you're speaking, I'm going to watch the shadow rather than watch you? Now, some of you might say, well, you're just kind of ugly. You're kind of hard to look at. I might look at the shadow. I understand that. If that's your motivation, I get that. But other than that, you, don't, you wouldn't do that, right? You wouldn't look at the shadow. When you're having a conversation with somebody and somebody's talking to you and they have a, their shadows beside you, you don't look at the shadow while they're talking to you. That would be weird and, frankly, really rude. If you've got the real thing, you go with the real thing. And, and this is saying, look, Christ is the fulfillment of all of these things. Jesus is the real deal. So why, why focus on the shadow? Why focus on these things that were actually just intended to point toward Christ? And Jesus came to fulfill those things. And again, that, you know, there, there are uh, regulations. There are rules, if you want to call it that. There are rules that we follow. There are things that God lays out for us. But the issue here is... Our motivation for doing those things is the key. It's not just following the rules. It's why do I do that? And if I'm going deeper in my relationship with Christ and my desire is to love and honor him, well, then that's going to work itself out in how I live. Give me an example of that, just you know, thinking about this from my own life. I've shared with you before one of the, the more challenging verses for me in Scripture, just of applying to my life on a daily basis, is Ephesians 4.29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That word only is the key there. To say things that are only helpful for building others up according to their needs. I have shared in our uh, men's group at, on, on Wednesday nights in our small group, and we go around and we share, you know, what are we struggling with? What are, what are any sin issues in our life that we're struggling with? And I'll just tell you the same thing I told them. One of them has to do with my response when I'm driving, when I'm behind the wheel, you know, and I see some of you are like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. It is difficult for me to live out Ephesians 4.29 behind the wheel of a car, okay? Because y'all know how this is, Right? When you're driving, anyone who is driving faster than you is a maniac. Anyone driving slower is an idiot. You know, that's just kind of how it is. And so there are people that are just flying by, and it's, you know, I'm getting frustrated with that because it seems unsafe and un unnecessary, you know. And they come up to the red light, and you pull up, and you're like, hey, you didn't get any farther than me. Yeah, then you, didn't. you thought you were going to, did you? And then you've got those that are sitting at the red light, and the light turns green. And they're sitting at the green light, you know, and, and, and I'm just getting frustrated. Anybody with me on this? It's like, go! Can you just go? Y'all are not helping me with my sin issue. You're kind of egging me on a little bit here, right? Yeah. And I find myself, and I'm not screaming and yelling and cussing at them or anything like that, but I find myself saying things that are not helpful for building others up according to their needs, Right? Seriously, and I'm like, okay, that, that is a practical way. So, so I'm focused on that, and I've literally been, as I'm driving, like consciously thinking about 
How do I live this out in my life uh, better? Now, the question is motivation. Why do I do that? Is it because I'm worried about what somebody will say to me or do to me if they find out? Is it because I think I'm earning brownie points with God if I keep my mouth shut? No, that, that's not the motivation. The motivation is I, I want to be transformed to be like Jesus. I want to honor God in what I do. And I know I fall short in areas. And if I can, can focus on growing in those areas, I want to. That, that's the motivation. And so... That's kind of what he's getting at here is, yes, we, there are things that we do, but it seems that those that were coming in were saying, no, 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 let's just follow the rules. And they were leaving out the relational side and, and why we're doing it. And then he describes them further in verse 18 when he says, again, again, let the do not let, see the same phrase there, do not let anyone judge you. Verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Don't let these people pull you down their path. Um, and, and it's really interesting, that phrase there, delights in false humility. The word false, is, it, it actually just says in the original language, it actually just says delights in humility. The word false is put there just for our benefit to understand what's going on. Uh, it is a false humility because if you stop and think about it, how is it even possible to delight in your own humility? <laughs> you know, like, I am so pleased with myself because I'm so humble, Right? <laughs> That, that, that doesn't work. And so it is a false humility here. Those that, that, that maybe have an appearance of humility. And it isn't it interesting how sometimes, and I think about what does false humility look like for us. Maybe it's kind of dropping in just in a, in a very humble way. The fact that we served at the homeless shelter over the weekend. Or how many years we've been teaching in the children's ministry. Or, you know, whatever it is. And we just kind of drop those things in so others around us can be so impressed with our godliness. False humility. Um, and, and I think it's something that, that we all um, can relate to. And then the second part of verse 18, it says, or the worship of angels, which is interesting because, you know, we talked about the Judaizers that uh, they were, that Paul was confronting here. One of the other groups that he was confronting was the early form of Gnosticism. And a big part of Gnostic teaching was that there's this spiritual realm out there. So the worship of angels thing would fit well within that. You know, it's kind of like you had this, this spiritual connection that you can make and he says, be very careful. Don't, don't go down that path. You know, it doesn't seem to me to be quite as much of a deal anymore. Uh, but I remember a decade or so ago, it, it seemed like there was a, a fad for a period of time where angels, everything was all about angels. And everybody's wanting to learn more about angels and they're writing books about angels and doing studies on angels. And, you know, it's, that's, that's fine if we are, are just leaving it at what Scripture teaches us and wanting to learn more um, but that can become an unhealthy obsession. And the same is true for any, you know, the, the, the demonic realm or whatever it is. It's like we, we can have this unhealthy obsession with the spiritual realm, whereas what we really need to be focused on is Christ. And he says, Let, let's come back here and, and be focused on what we need to be focused on. And uh, if you look in Scripture, by the way, speaking of angels, I mean, Hebrews 1.14 describes them as ministering spirits, you know, come to serve those who have inherited salvation. I mean, th th their purpose is to serve, not to be in the spotlight anyway. And so uh, those that says that do this, that get focused on false humility and the worship of angels, right after that it says such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. In other words, they want to talk all about their knowledge and tell you all that they know. And they're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Man, what a phrase there. 
puffed up. You, you know, what? this will tell you how deep I am. You know where my mind went when I read that word puffed up? I thought about the difference between Cheetos and cheese puffs. You know what I'm talking about? Like Cheetos. I, I, I can do some Cheetos on the cheese puffs. Those things just bother me. I don't know what it is. It just, it's like a Cheeto that just got all puffed up. You know, you like cheese puffs? What's right? No, Cheetos. They're just puffed up. They're all puffed up. I don't know why they are, but they are. And I just thought about, you know, cheese puffs, all puffed up and full of nothing. We as believers don't want to be all puffed up and full of nothing. You know, it, it, it's not about appearing to be something that we're not, but it's about staying focused. Now, verse 19, look at what, what it says next. It says, when that happens, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Here's the second thing is we, we have to stay connected to the head. When you lose connection from the head, uh, that's not a good thing. I mean, we've all heard the phrase running around like a chicken with its head cut off, right? But I think we also know that chicken isn't going to run around for long, right? You lose connection with the head, things aren't going to go well. That is, unless you're Mike the Headless Chicken. 1945, this is a true story. 1945, a lady by the name of Mrs. Olson in Fruta, Colorado, attempted to um, prepare a chicken for some, some guests. And she took an axe and cut off a chicken's head, but missed the jugular vein. And actually ended up leaving most of the, the, the brain intact. And they realized pretty quickly that this chicken was going to survive. So she didn't serve Mike for dinner that night. I don't know what they had for dinner. But they decided to start caring for Mike the headless chicken. And they would feed the chicken through the opening in the throat with a little dropper. And they would give food. Mike the headless chicken became a touring sideshow for 18 months. They, they ran around. So, uh, you know, I guess it can happen that when you get disconnected from the head, now you need to go look it up. And the, 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 the month of May, I think it's the third weekend of May in Fruita, Colorado, to this day, they have Mike the Headless Chicken Day. So I, there's, there's all kinds of crazy stuff there. But we don't want to get disconnected from the head. It's not a good thing. And, and he describes what that looks like there. When we get disconnected, this is what happens next, verse 20. It says, when, since you died to the from Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Why, as though you belong to the world, do you submit to the rules? That elemental spiritual forces. You remember that phrase? We, we saw that phrase earlier, uh, back in, I think it's verse 8, when it was talking about hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. What it's saying here, and I won't go back and retrace all of that, but, but it's when we lose connection with the head, we stop letting Christ be our, our uh, direction, be the one that we look to for truth, and we start deciding what we believe uh, based on other things. And he reminds us in verse 20 we shouldn't do that because we've died with Christ. Not just that we ignore these things, but no, we, we, we've died to these things. That's not who we are anymore. And so why get caught up in this hollow and deceptive philosophy, these elemental spiritual forces of this world? Which leads me to the last main idea for today, and that is that we base our beliefs on what God says, not on popular opinion. And church, this one is so important. We base our beliefs on, on what God says. Because these elemental spiritual forces, this hollow and deceptive philosophy that we looked at last week, man, that, that is 
that can really take us down a path. Now, in this case, if this is really interesting to me. In this case, what it was leading them to, the rules that they were to follow were these. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Again, Gnosticism emphasized that anything physical was bad. And so you, that would make sense then that you would not taste, handle, touch. You don't enjoy anything in life because it's all about this spiritual connection that you're supposed to make. Um, that was the rules that they gave. That was what this, this hollow and deceptive philosophy, these elemental spiritual forces, would say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. However, in our society today, I would say that that worldly philosophy would be exactly the opposite, don't you think? Handle, taste, and touch all you want to with no restriction. That's basically what we're told today. If it's pleasurable, don't avoid it. Just dive into it. And, and that's what, what the message that we get. And um, you know, I, I saw a post on Facebook this week. It reminded me how tempted we can be to develop our own idea of what's true and what's right. This post came from a Facebook friend that I, I haven't really been in touch with in a little while, but he used to be a pastor, and he was posting on coming out day about how proud he was that he is, and I, I quote, to, to quote him, he said, super gay. He was so proud to uh, announce everybody he's super gay, um, and, and the, the, the comments, a lot of supportive comments were, were put there, but one in particular is what really caught my attention and that is that someone praised him for, and he says, for living your truth. I saw that and I thought, that, that just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. That's, that's where we live today. That's where these, the, the, the empty philosophy and all that stuff, that's where it leads us is you decide for yourself what is right and what is true, rather than turning to what Scripture says. Now, if we do turn to the Bible, what we'll see is that homosexuality is a sin. It's against God's design. Um, the church has not responded well to this topic, in my opinion, on both sides of the issue. Uh, in some cases, what the church has done is affirmed this as a personal choice or even maybe just being true to the way God made you. And then on the other extreme, the church has, has just spewed hatred and name-calling and just, you know, not express the love of Christ in any way to people within this community. And both of those are, are wrong. Um, what we see in Scripture is that, yes, we let God determine what is right and wrong. We call sin, sin, but we also love the individuals. And, and we express God's uh, love in, 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 a, in an appropriate way. Um, and it's not just on this issue, by the way, as I was thinking about this and just thinking about how we want to determine our own truth. The same thing is true with how we respond to heterosexuality, too, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's just thinking about what, what is a major, major issues in our culture today. It was really interesting to me as I um, was just doing a little research, and, and uh, there was one put out, I believe it was called, uh, yeah, Pew Research is what put this study out. But I thought, I wonder what the mindset is of people who identify themselves as Christians about uh, sex outside of marriage among heterosexuals. And the Bible does clearly speak to that, by the way, when it talks about sexual morality, which would say anything outside of a married couple should be avoided. And yet what, what they found is that 32%, only 32% 
of those who identify themselves as Christians would say that it's never acceptable for unmarried adults in a committed relationship to have sex. By the way, that only went up 1% when it was in a non-committed relationship. Um, that tells me that, that we are being influenced by the philosophy of the world, by what's normal around us, right? And that's just one area. We could pick any number of, of examples, uh, but our, our mindset is very much determined by what others think and what our culture says, not so much just by what God says. And he reminds us in verse 22, in this case, he's kind of dealing, as we said, with the opposite. But these rules are destined to perish. Why? Because they're based only on human commands and teachings. That's the key. So we don't want to base any type of philosophy or anything that we do merely on human commands and teachings, but to base those things on God's Word. Do you all remember last week I brought with you uh, a weed from my yard? And shared a little bit of that story. Yeah, you're like, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget uh, that. Yeah, just thinking back about that again. Because, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about this. Um, when it comes to us changing behavior, it, it is important for us to live in a certain way, right? It is important for us to follow God's design. The Bible does give rules. There are things that we are to do. There are things that we are to not do. That is, is part of it. I want to discount that. But... What we have to be careful of is focusing on what I would just call behavioral modification. Behavior modification. You know, let's change the behavior. That's like trying to pull weeds out of a yard, just, just pulling them up. You know the problem with pulling weeds up out of a yard? Is that you never really get the full root up out of the yard. And when you're pulling it up, you tend to like shake more seeds down in the yard. And so when you pull weeds up or you chop off the top of them and mow them down or whatever it is, it's going to look better for a little while. But if you really want to get rid of the weeds, what do you do? You have to attack the root system, right? You have to attack the root system. As believers, the goal is never just to, to go through behavior modification. It's never just to say, hey, let's do a better job of following the rules. The goal is to attack the deeper issue and that is to know and follow and love Jesus more intimately. That's what we're all about as followers of Christ. And so today, I just want to encourage us to maybe reshift our focus a little bit based on what we've seen in Colossians to, to ask the question, am I focused more on following the rules? Or am I focused more on knowing and loving Jesus so that that works itself out? and changing the way I live. You know what, I believe we need more than anything else. We don't, we don't need a, you know, a whole lecture on what to do and not to do. And uh, What we need is to know Jesus intimately and to base our life on what Scripture says and to allow Him to change us from the inside out. So let's pray for that together. Lord, today I do ask that, um, that you would give us a passion for you. Lord, our desire is, we do want the weeds out. Well, I, I say that. Sometimes we do. Maybe we don't really like we should. But Lord, I pray that we desire to have those weeds taken out of our lives. But Lord, more than anything, I pray that you would change us at the root. And Lord, that out of that would flow the kind of fruit that is honoring to you. So Lord, just do your work in our hearts to make that happen today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.